Welcome to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clues series with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that is different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clues series. Today's episode is sponsored by Life & Legacy Advisory Group. We believe sound financial advice improves people's lives. We are also brought to you by Aria Benefits. We help visionary entrepreneurs grow their companies through attracting and retaining top talent. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, here with my co-host, the Earl of Estate Planning, Al McDonald. Al, how's your day going? Earl of Estate Planning. That's uh, quite the introduction. My day's going great. (laughs) We were talking about just uh, previous that I... uh, I just had a, an electrician show up and uh, do some work around the house. And 45 minutes later, he's done. That doesn't happen very often. So uh, that was a, a nice little treat today. And I'm looking very forward to our to this episode. And our guest has pretty cool background. So I'm, I'm interested in hearing about his business and learning a little bit about his background too. I've said it before. One of the my favorite things about this podcast is it just gives us excuses to meet and then sit down with really cool people. Because how often is we're going through our daily lives and even with our friends. I mean... Unless you go out of your way to make time, we don't do that anymore. We're always moving so fast. So, you know, the podcast is a really good excuse to sit down with people who have cool stories and just share ideas and and share those stories. So today's guest is Shay Balish, co-founder and chief executive officer of Curve Health. He completed an interdisciplinary, I can say that, PhD, and recently held a banding postdoctoral fellowship at the University of Toronto. She is a noted speaker on topics related to human nature, sport, health, and machine learning. Personally, Shay was a college basketball player and grew up in a rural fishing village in eastern Canada. Shay, maybe start there. Where is this rural fishing village in eastern Canada? Uh, it's called Lockport. It's way down the south shore of Nova Scotia. So about a two-hour drive south from Halifax, if you know Halifax. It's, uh, naturally, it's an island, but they made a, a causeway to it. So a man-made causeway or person-made causeway. And uh, yeah, it's just one of those small, classic East Coast, little charming fishing villages. Well, Al has got an advantage on me having been down that way into Halifax, and I have not. And it is uh, definitely on my list of places to go. Well, why don't we jump into it? Because as you know, the podcast circles around, you know, the entrepreneur journey. And I thought, you know, a good place to start would because everyone starting their company, you know, you've got to have an advantage or an edge what would you say you feel is your differential edge as a founder? In particular, my personal edge or the company's edge? Well, maybe both. A bit of both. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> my edge is, I think, really two. I think our investors and the people that know me would, would tell you two things. One is that I can just suffer more than other people. It's not just that I work harder. It's that I can persevere through chaos and keep a level headed and understand where I'm going. That takes a lot. And I think I have that just of who I am and also kind of a bit of a story background growing up in kind of a charming little fishing village, but also low income, divorced family, you know, humble beginnings, all those types of things. The second thing beyond just uh, perseverance would be I'm a contrarian and I think I'm the right kind of contrarian in in the sense that I'm very independent minded. I really don't care what other people think sometimes gets me into a lot of trouble, but I'm not afraid to kind of look in the dark corners to figure out where the real truth is and ideas. And if I have to offend people, I do sometimes. And that helped me throughout academia, got into trouble a little bit, but I I had a great 
I think for what I did, a great career in academia. And then in the startup world, there's so much buzz, there's so much hype. And a lot of people, when they get into the kind of murky waters, they just want to replicate what other people are doing instead of think for themselves. And so I think our investors you know, bet on me because I, at least I, I had a track record of doing that in academia and slowly building a track record of doing that in, in business. And you said in the very beginning of that about you're willing to suffer more. And before we got on, we were chatting about, you know, when you work out, I'm an afternoon person, you're an early morning person, because how did you say, do you like to get that out of the way earlier? Or, or you said it better. I mean, yeah. like you, you said, you know, yeah, do yeah, the yeah. hard things first. I mean, as someone who is unapologetically ambitious, every day you're holding yourself to a high standard of being productive and doing a lot, right? And that means you're in the game of like willpower and it's not infinite. Everyone burns out everyone. So you're always looking at ways you can improve that. And a lot of people structure their day around being happy or being mentally well and being productive. But how do you structure your day to maximize your own willpower? I find that's the limiting concern of getting things done. And so I think getting up in the morning and, and getting a hard workout in, not just like the physical mechanical feeling of working out feels good. It's, I think there's some largely subconscious process that I know I've already done something really hard. I'm a bit proud of myself today. The day can't go wrong. I got a great workout in the start of the day and it feels like I'm running downhill and everything else. I've already got a great start. And I think whoever that plays out my mind, whether it's ego related or not, I always feel like I'm running downhill after I have a really hard workout early in the morning. Even if I can't squeeze a workout in, having a really cold shower, especially in the winter, makes me feel <laughs> like I did something a little bit tough and yeah. I earned a little bit today. So that's just my mental framing for kind of trying to set myself up for success. Hurt yourself early, it's all downhill from there. <laughs> you know, that, that facing adversity, you know, I talk to a lot of successful people and the people that I surround myself and the people that I like and admire are people that force themselves into facing that adversity. I mean, for years, I'm since retired now, but for years when I was doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu, that was one of the things that I really enjoyed doing because I knew every time I step on the mats, there was someone, and unless you understand martial arts, I can say this in the most friendly way possible. People are trying to, you know, break your arm or choke you unconscious. And of course you get to tap and, and, you know, you get to move on. But I always felt when I did that, especially when I was getting really morning training back in the day, the rest of your day, nothing else was going to be that difficult. And you'd already faced the hardest part of your day. So nothing else was going to phase you. So I like, you know, that that's how you start your days. And it, it is a common theme around successful and cool people that I get to hang around with. So that's very cool. Yeah, I think so. I think what I've also noticed is, I mean, this is much easier for me as a single guy without a family and a whole lot else going on. But I find the hours, if I'm really trying to relax, the hours between 9.30 and 11.30 aren't that productive. And if I can get to bed a little earlier and wake up earlier, the hours between say 5.30 and 7.30 or 6.30 and 8.30 in the morning, far more productive. So if I can trade those hours at night, staying up a little bit later for those productive hours in the morning, and that I can do that every every day for my life. The compounding effect over time is just phenomenal. So I try to do that. I wish I could do it better. It's just an ongoing struggle to achieve that. You've talked about a structural problem in healthcare that you're trying to solve. Can you expand on that and explain what it is, the problem that you are trying to solve? Yeah, I, I definitely can. I'll, I'll say that there's not one problem, as you would expect. It's messy. It's complicated. And I'll start maybe with an analogy. You know, If you look at a really an amazing company like SpaceX or even Tesla, the companies that Elon's really building, there's no like one eureka moment, right? There's no one singular problem. It's actually this beautiful, complex coordination 
and sometimes described as vertical integration, what they're doing. I think healthcare is going to be solved with a beautiful symphony of, of solving a number of these structural problems, everyone describe it together. It's going to be a complex coordination problem about kind of redesigning the whole healthcare system. And that's kind of what we're seeing. But try to answer your question to be concise. One particular problem that we are solving, and this is just one, but I think it's, it's kind of a vivid, is traditionally to receive a lot of healthcare services that are not medical, more allied healthcare service, like seeing a great physical therapist or a great counselor, psychotherapist, or a dietitian, for example, often you had to go into a physical clinic. That means these local physical clinics in your neighborhood kind of had a little bit of a monopoly in the local area. Where else are you going to get care? If you're a care provider, where else are you going to work? And so these clinic owners kind of had these little geo-constrained monopolies and thus they could take a very aggressive overhead, right? So every dollar that comes through that clinic, maybe they'll take 50 cents. And in many cases they do, sometimes even larger for the larger groups. And so what happened during the pandemic is that a lot of people recognized virtual care as possible and in many ways practical. And why should a provider be giving up 50% of the dollar or the, like the value to the, the clinic as a kind of middle man or middle woman when everything's actually digital now. And so these clinics that in clinic is by definition a marketplace existed as these intermediaries and kind of controlling care, digital care kind of breaks that model. And so what you can do is use technology to directly connect independent healthcare providers with people that want care. And you can give back all of that overhead, you don't have to take that as a digital clinic. In fact, you shouldn't. It would be a race to zero anyway. So you give all that value back to the clients. And in many cases for us, the employers who are bringing their employees, their clients, patients in to receive great healthcare. So this is an area where you can drastically reduce healthcare costs while still maintaining really good quality, if not better quality for the right conditions that can be treated digitally. So that's an exciting area because it's so hard in healthcare. I'll finish my rant here. It's so hard in healthcare to actually reduce costs. Most technology companies are just helping someone in healthcare make more money or increase costs in some ways. And so we feel good about that. It doesn't apply too broadly, but I think it's a, it's a big economic shift that you're going to see with digital health. Get everything that you talked about. It makes a lot of sense. Maybe we can back up just a little bit. And can you talk about maybe the big picture about, you know, what is it that Curve Health does from the bigger perspective, as opposed to just this one issue that we just talked about? Yeah, well, I think, first of all, how we can even consider healthcare is being redesigned. And this is a bit of a talking point, but I think it's true. Our current healthcare system isn't a healthcare system. It's a sick care system. It's just designed for sick people, maybe make money off sick people, not really incentivized to do a whole lot else. You know, people show up with 20, 30 years of bad lifestyle, bad health behavior and say, hey, fix me. I don't want to work on it myself. It's really unfortunate. And there's a lot of probably reasonable, practical, historical reasons why that's the case. And that's the way we built it. But now we're in a, a time of increasing innovation, especially in the information economy. We get a chance, I think right now, after this pandemic, we're really getting a chance to design that. You see a lot of investors running this space because the whole healthcare system in general, as it works, is being redesigned towards a healthcare system. What does an actual healthcare system look like? It obviously starts with prevention. It starts with using automation in the right way to augment human resources, not to automate them, but to augment them 
such that humans are used for what they're best at, phenomenal intuitive human judgment, and we automate a lot of other things. And so what Curve is really trying to pioneer, and we describe this very simply, is we're, we're just building a digital clinic. That doesn't tell you a whole lot, of course, but again, clinics are by definition marketplaces. So what we really do is we empower independent allied healthcare practitioners to deliver great digital care to patients at better costs, producing better outcomes, all the while these independent allied healthcare practitioners can actually have a higher caseload, can make more money because they're using automation the right way to increase their time. They're not just selling slots in their calendar necessarily. And also the clients and sometimes the people that sit atop of or organize those clients, employers, but for example, can reap the benefits of this digital care system. We can talk about prevention in that whole pathway, and there's a number of them, but really what we're building is a digital clinic that empowers independent healthcare practitioners to directly connect clients and really efficiently, really easily. Al hasn't had the benefit yet of, of seeing a demo, and I have with your team, and it is, I mean, it's amazing what you can do with technology now. And for someone who works primarily remote, I mean, that's very appealing to be able to access healthcare without leaving, taking the time, booking the appointment. Hopefully I yeah. can get an appointment within a week or so. You know, usually that's not the case. And I mean, it's just incredible. And from a benefits consultant standpoint, and again, I'm not here to do a, an advertisement for you, Shay, but I mean, I was very impressed with what I saw. And when I'm setting up a benefit plan for a company, one of the concerns is, hey, things are getting more expensive. How do we stretch that benefit dollar? And it's mm-hmm. nice to see that through the platform, because there's, you know, there's some pricing in there that's significantly cheaper than what you'd see on the street. I mean, we're able to stretch that benefits dollar for, you know, your average employee two to three times. I mean, that means a lot when someone has a cap on a certain benefit. So I was happy to see that. Yeah. Shay, I know we're, we're talking about your business and I'm happy to do so, but I love hearing stories because I look at my own about what shaped me growing up and made me the person I am and how it impacts my business. And you talked about growing up in that small rural town and part of that growing up, and I don't want to dig too much into your personal life, but you know, that was a low income area. Can you talk to us about how growing up where you did has shaped who you are as a person and and how that's impacted your, your company and where you're taking it? Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, I think, Every time someone gets asked this question, they always maybe over-index on nurture rather than nature. You know, part of who I am is just the genes I inherited, fortunately or unfortunately, from my parents. But I can definitely go into the nurture side. In Lockport, it's an interesting little community. I mean, in particular for me, a bit of a rambunctious, excitable, rebellious kid who was always kind of testing his limits. And I think that's kind of been my story. It's just, I, I really don't know who I am until I can really bump up hard against one of those limits. And oftentimes it gets me in trouble. But what happened to me in particular, and I think it's kind of interesting. And by the way, I, I can probably psychoanalyze myself far too much. I did a part of my PhD and postdoc was in sport and health psychology. So it's probably I'm a little biased here, but when I was just hitting puberty, you know, as you're hitting adolescence, you're building an identity, you're figuring out who you want to be, who are you, how your other people view you. I was a basketball player. I was like six foot three when I was like 12. And I was hanging out with all these older kids in a small town, growing up way too fast, doing all the wrong things you you would not want to hear a 12-year-old doing. But I got in trouble with the the law, hanging out with some, I was in grade seven, hanging out with some grade 12 kids. Anyways, 
small like juvenile criminal record or whatever and it wasn't big we we like took some like flares that like like sos flares and shot up in the air thinking it was cool it wasn't really too too harmful fortunately but that event was a bit serious at least psychologically for me because i quickly became semi-ostracized in that small little town like even my friends that were the bad kids weren't allowed to hang out with me and so i quickly had to think for myself and go wow i'm I'm alone here. I'm by myself. Am I a bad kid? Am I a good person? Who am I? I really got to like figure this out for myself. And what am I going to anchor to? That's true. And in some ways I was a good kid. I was like picking up garbage on my walk to school every day too. Right. I was doing these types of things, but I was also, you know, smoking pot and fighting. So that event that like being ostracized, I think at that critical developmental window pushed me into be this like very, this like honest contrarian in terms of like not really caring what other people think and trying to always think for myself. And it's really hard to do. Most people underestimate how hard that is to do. And so that is really, I think, where my angle came from. I went into academia. I was able to do really interesting research, a little outside the box, a little controversial. And then also what led me into the startup world, because I think it's an amazing place to actually create value. So you feel good about your life at the end of your days, but also it's a place to test ideas. And I love, I love ideas. I love, I also love executing. I think it's so important to hear those stories about where people came from and, and, where I grew up, growing up in Rexdale, it certainly changed over the years from when we first moved in. And I won't tell any stories, but there's some things that happened that were, that were very scary growing up. And I, and I, yeah. I think you're right. I think it, it shapes who you are for better or for worse. You know, me for what, I'm always trying to become a better person, but I know there are things that happened growing up that have definitely shaped how I react to things, how I approach things. And again, you know, that's a constant journey trying to improve. So I think it's really important to hear stories like that and especially for young entrepreneurs because i know we we just interviewed one last week a very young entrepreneur and i think for people like him it's very interesting to hear stories about someone who's obviously very successful like you what you kind of faced early on in your journey yeah there's a lot of failures that actually don't teach you a lot it's kind of like a dark secret it's just like now there's some errors mistakes that you make that like no real learning from that. That was just a bad experience. But there's some that really, really are. And there's some that happen at the right time, the right place that that mold you. And these developmental windows, I think, are kind of interesting. I think if you look at a lot of different, not to say I'm in this archetype, but like if you look at a lot of different folks, there's usually this like, especially I find in the tech community where there's a lot of like very intellectual, I'll use the term crudely and loosely, nerds who had a really rough go during adolescence, right? Like socially rough go. And they end up being these contrarian folks, a lot of like libertarian contrarian folks, obviously in entrepreneurship, but in this space, it's really interesting. You also see a lot of people on the spectrum with mild Asperger's or autism in, in startups, partly because they don't really care what people think. They might not even have the ability to, in some cases, very crudely. So it's, it's interesting to see, but it's, yeah, I think it's always good to hear about the dark side of kind of finding yourself. What's the joke? Don't make fun of nerds because you'd be working for them one day. <laughs> <laughs> and yes. it's, it's, it's largely true, right? Largely true. Yeah. And you're probably right because sometimes those people are put your head down and think for yourself and maybe a little more independent. And you know, at the end, uh, <laughs> yeah, at the end you're working for them. So I want to switch gears. So you, you talked about, you know, where you came from and what shaped your life. Let's look forward. When you think about optimizing your life, how do you approach that? What do you think about? Yeah. Do I think about optimizing my life? I mean, you would be at least, I mean, you maybe wouldn't be surprised you fellas know as much as I do, but I don't really look up a whole lot. I've only started looking up a little bit lately because I'm 35 looking to start a family. So I don't know. I've been surprised how far I can get with just head down, keep running. 
so you don't get stuck on too many of these local maxima and all the landscape of potential opportunities. I think when I look back, not that I intentionally do this looking forward, when I look back, what I've been doing is optimizing for more meaning. So not big on happiness necessarily. I think happiness is great. I want to feel happy sometimes. Striving for happiness is ironically doesn't really work. You find happiness not by searching by happiness, by doing other things. But for me, I'm looking for meaning. I want at the end of my days to be able to say, I, you know, I swung the bat, not a whole lot of regrets. What a great life. I took the opportunity every chance I had. And if I do have regrets, it's because I did too many things, not because I didn't do enough. And I think that regret optimization framework is pretty powerful. And I used to be a sports psychologist at one point, working with some semi-pro athletes. And we used to do this exercise of, what do we call it? Kind of a a third-person obituary. So imagine that your grandchildren are writing your obituary. What would they read about you? Just going through that process really changes one's perspective on what's important, how they want to structure their life and what they prioritize. I think that's really, really helpful that those perspective changes. I'm always looking for people to shake up my perspective. There's a lot of things we worry about day to day and what we do is just that pales in comparison. You know, at the end, the end of our days, we don't really even worry about that. So that's kind of my, my framework is regret optimization. Well, that's kind of a perfect segue into my next question for you then, because you talked about your grandchildren writing your obituary. So I'm going to talk a little bit about maybe leaving a legacy of some sort, and I want to get your thoughts on it. So there's a saying that goes, a society grows great when old persons plant trees in whose shade they will never sit. So tell me about some of the proverbial trees that you might be planting and how that might affect someone down the road, and you might never get any benefit from it. (laughs) Two quick things. One is my favorite book is actually a short story called The Man Who Planted Trees. I think it's originally in French, translated to English. Go on Amazon, buy it. Don't think twice. Read it. Give it to your friends, family. It's a short story and it's subtle. There's not a huge climax, but it's powerful. At least it has been for me. It very much aligns with this question. A lot of people want to change the world and they have these grand visions of leaving a a massive legacy. I think in academia, I was able to do that by publishing some literature that might be cited for many years and could lead to future research, which is great. Right now, building a company that can improve access to care, decrease costs, and improve outcomes, all those three simultaneously, that is the trifecta, and that's a massive win. And I don't want to be too ambitious or or cavalier, but I think if we can really continue to scale this company, we're going to meaningfully change people's lives. A lot of people suffer and healthcare is really at the center of that sometimes. So you can talk about wanting to go to Mars and do all these other things, but there's a lot of people currently suffering and trying to relieve that and minimize that through a better healthcare system is vitally important. And I think morally righteous thing to do. Personally, I've benefited from advice, our investors and other mentors of mine have highlighted that there's often two phases in an entrepreneur's life cycle where they're accumulating resources and then distributing them. I'm trying to create value. And if our company can make money and I make money and I have more opportunity, then I have a lot of ways I want to give back. I've always been a proponent of education, although I think higher level education is in a bit of a bubble right now. There's a lot of unfortunate things going on. But I think as I get closer to retirement in 20, 30 years or something, I'll be highly focused on empowering underprivileged children to figure out ways to bet on themselves and create value for themselves. So that's really important to me growing up, a bit of a low-income kid in a small low-income village. I think empowering people that don't have opportunities is, is really, really meaningful for me. I think that's a great message. 
Shay, I want to thank you for coming on the show. You know, we only met fairly recently, but we had a great conversation the first time and I learned a lot more about you today. And I look forward to continuing that relationship and having future chats uh, with you, whether it's on the podcast or outside of the podcast. I look forward to that. So thank you for coming on today and, and sharing your story. What's the best way for people to reach out to you if they have questions about yourself or what you're doing at Curve Health? Email me directly, Shay, S-H-E-A at curvehealth.com. There's no E after that curve, so it's C-U-R-V health.com, Shay at curvehealth.com. Just shoot me an email. You can find me on Twitter. It's mainly my personal account. We do have a company account. It's just, I think it's at Shay Balish, S-H-E-A-B-A-L-I-S-H. Yeah. And otherwise, yeah, my information contact details are splattered across the internet. So you'll find them <laughs> if you really want to. Please don't hesitate to reach out. All right, cool. Well, that does it for today's episode. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you did too. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or rejoining the conversation on LinkedIn. Success leaves clues, my friends. And remember, it all starts with one.